0: Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight interviews. I'm Katie Heysen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with insight from a different perspective of the Business Fights Poverty Network, giving you first hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Helen McEachran. With over 20 years' experience working for international NGOs, including Greenpeace, ActionAid UK and ActionAid International, Helen has been increasingly working on the gender agenda. In the summer of 2017, Helen took over as the CEO of the Sherry Blair Foundation for Women and has been leading the organisation through an exciting period of growth and change. She says, we're on a mission to change the world for women, make it more equal and economically just. Originally hailing from Australia, she has been based in the UK since 2001 and has worked extensively overseas, including in South Africa, the Netherlands, India, and the US. Helen, welcome. Thank you. So kicking off today with our first question, with your background in campaigning NGOs, what attracted you to the Sherry Blair Foundation? Thanks, Kate. Um, That's a
1: great question it's women's rights at the heart of it but it was also the organization's focus many international development organizations are trying to end poverty or fight some very huge issue but working across many many different thematic areas the shree blair foundation for women is highly focused on women's economic empowerment but within that on working with women entrepreneurs and enabling them and through that, to have an impact on women's economic equality. So it was really that focus that led me here. I'd also say that I thought the organization had the potential to change the ecosystem for women entrepreneurs. It had been very successful in its first 10 years of working with individual women and changing their life prospects, the success of their businesses, But there was an opportunity, I thought, to take the organisation out to do more advocacy and influencing based on the track record it had of impact with individuals.
0: And Helen, what trends should we be looking out for in relation to women's economic empowerment?
1: There is a lot of different trends, I think, that have the potential to impact on women's economic empowerment because it is quite a big agenda a few that I think are worthy of keeping in mind. I mean, technology is clearly a trend affecting every sector and most people in the world. It is an important issue for women's economic empowerment, both as an enabler, and we try to use technology, particularly mobile technology and online educational resources to empower women but it also has the potential to exclude women and we know that the digital divide is is there and I mean that was once really about the difference between people who had access to digital technology and those that don't but we know that within that the number of women who don't have access to digital technology is greater than the number of men we know that 12% more men have access to the internet and we know that at least 200 million women are excluded from mobile phone access and that those are fairly recent statistics in the last sort of 12 months. So women are disadvantaged economically because of that lack of digital access. On the opportunity side, clearly there is a sort of democratisation of information that's gone on. And there is the potential to get information and knowledge and education to people much more cheaply than has previously been available. If you are literate and if you can get digital access, and that could be through, you know, a fairly basic mobile device, there is a potential to access information that previously you wouldn't have had. So, I mean, there's many other issues. We're hearing recently about the issues around algorithms and the fact that the technology, the people who are writing the code and the people who are writing algorithms are overwhelmingly men and within that, and obviously there are different issues of diversity there, but in terms of gender, there are overwhelmingly men and so there is an inbuilt gender bias in those algorithms and then that has the potential to disadvantage and or exclude women and that in turn has an impact on women's economic empowerment. So there's quite a lot of issues and trends around technology. I think we're seeing trend an early sort of shift around what's men's role in terms of women's rights more generally but specifically in women's economic empowerment where certainly we've been doing some work bringing men into our programs and how we we focus our work With women, but how are family members supporting, engaging with women as they go on the journey to develop their businesses? And we try and build that into our programs. And we need to increasingly look at how we do that, how we improve the impact in relation to that. So I think there's a a specific sort of opportunity and challenge there working directly with people. And then if we look at the broader sort of ecosystem, there is an opportunity for men to empower women and enable women and also be the voices of change. We know that global corporations are overwhelmingly led by men. So if if men are not prepared to embrace women's economic empowerment, then change is going to be very, very slow. So I would like to see more men stepping forward and doing that as well as stepping back to create the space for women to step in in relation to leadership of businesses, political space, the different areas where we see it. But so the role of men I think is another important trend. There's many more I could say, but I think probably one of the most global widespread ones is that sort of demographic change in terms of youth and what are we doing to equip young women and girls, and, I mean, girls are very much on the agenda in different areas, sort of education and gender-based violence, but we need to really look at economic opportunities for girls. We're seeing some of that around the moves around STEM education, but I think we need to go much further in terms of the different economic opportunities for our young women and girls. The final trend that's been on my mind a lot recently is how much these movements that we're seeing in terms of right-wing fundamentalism, sort of conservatism in the name of religion, you know, the nationalist agenda we're seeing coming through in in many countries over the last few years. One of the things that I realised all these different agendas have in common is that they are against women, women's rights, and actually many of them are working actively to restrict women's access to funding and freedom of movement, freedom of activity, reducing uh, women's protection and safety. And I think that is an important issue which the women's rights sector needs to reflect on and will have an impact on women's economic empowerment as some areas we move forward we're seeing other trends taking us backwards and I think that is a challenge that we need to to think about and grapple with which is very current
0: so helen what do you feel the role of the private sector is in achieving the goals that the sherry blair foundation in particular has laid out the private sector
1: is incredibly important to us as an organization
0: and i think incredibly
1: important in the enabling of women entrepreneurs. In terms of, I mean, just us, I mean, they're an incredibly important funding partner. We have seen corporate support, you know, they're interested in this area, corporates, and they want to work with organizations like ours to have an impact so that there is a level of, of support there and a sort of a, you know an open door to wanting to engage with organizations who are focused on women's economic empowerment which I think is very positive in terms of their role i think again they have a number of roles they have a, i think there's a funding role there so we're talking about corporate social responsibility and where corporates have foundations actually putting Money, putting investment into sort of trying to change the balance and, and you know, supporting programs that will have an impact on women entrepreneurs and women's economic empowerment. But actually, obviously, businesses can go a lot further. Auditing their own businesses in relation to gender is incredibly important. And I think there's a number of areas, obviously, talent and how they're supporting and bringing empowering talent within ensuring that their leadership is ideally equal. But if not equal, is working towards that and is putting in place measures to to bring the kind of representation that we know creates a more diverse and stronger organisation. So talent is important. Supply chain is incredibly important. That varies significantly depending on what sector that we're looking at, but the businesses are willing to really look at the impact of their supply chain on women's economic empowerment. So, you know, how are they treating women that are working in their supply chain? What space are they creating for women-owned businesses? That's something that's very important to us and to some other organisations working with women entrepreneurs because there's often disadvantages within the approach That companies are taking which exclude women either from jobs or from the supply chain in terms of business owners. And then the other area that I think often doesn't get enough attention is businesses have an incredible voice with government and some issues need to be tackled through legislation. So we know that a significant barrier to women's economic empowerment is unpaid care. And there's lots of aspects of civil society that are looking for social protection to try and impact on that. But corporates have a role to play, I think, in advocating for appropriate state-supported childcare or other means that can support women to be empowered. But also, there is markets there that potentially corporates can play a role in building and creating, and could be an opportunity for them. So. They can lead by example as well. And so, you know, those early adopters in sectors, you know, recently in the UK, we saw Aviva come out with 26 weeks paid parental leave for both men and women who had a child. You know, that's a sector leading example of a leave opportunity, which will help women's equal participation in Aviva in that workplace. And if we could say, see other organizations in the financial sector, the insurance sector, take that kind of step, that would have an impact. So that kind of leadership and role modeling is another opportunity for corporates.
0: My next question, Business Fights Poverty is a network of 22,000 people, and we came into being really to support people across different organizations who are all trying to deliver more social impact. We talk a lot about purposeful collaboration. What does purposeful collaboration mean to you? I think
1: first and foremost, it requires a shared goal. There's a lot of talk about private public sector partnerships and these multi sector partnerships, and can we get civil society, private sector, government to work together? And of course, the benefit of that is that those really strong partnerships that can create change. But at the heart of that, I think, has to be a very clear goal that everyone, is driving towards and I think that that you know knowing what you're you're setting out to do with that collaboration and then being willing to compromise around the things that you disagree on so that you can pull your efforts on the things you agree on so letting go of maybe some that there, there will invariably be differences in any kind of collaboration and partnership and it's that sort of commitment because of the goal that you've come together on to find ways the spaces where you agree spaces where you can move forward spaces where you can have impact and when you can't and you've tried to to come to agreement you sort of put that behind you and work on the agendas that you can move forward collectively otherwise I think the partnerships become caught up and very little impact is made if you get caught up and feeling that you have to align your agendas on everything because you're working together around a particular goal. So I'm not sure if that is purposeful collaboration, but at least to me that is key to successful collaboration. And when the goal is a social goal and you're about business fights poverty, and poverty is an incredibly deeply rooted, complex social issue impacted on by many, many things in our society, I think it's very easy to get lost in the complexity. So being able to be clear about the goal and being able to compromise in the interests of making progress towards an agreed goal is what's going to make successful purposeful collaboration in my view.
0: And building on our question about purposeful collaboration and you shared some advice on how to do partnering, is there anything else that you would like to share with others in terms of how do you partner how do you get things going and particularly when there's a focus on women's economic empowerment
1: i think if you want to have a purposeful collaboration with other organizations with that goal of women's economic empowerment you do need to be prepared to look at your own backyard or your own house or however you might want to describe it you know look at the self first so when we're talking about organisations or businesses, look at your own business, look at what is the leadership balance in your business, what is the gender pay gap, what is going on in your supply chain and have an honest look at that. It's up to each organisation what you do with that information but I think you need to be looking at yourself if you're thinking about having a partnership with another organisation or taking forward a more public agenda. So I I would say that's one, one piece of additional advice I'd add. The other thing is, you know, keep track of the data of what's going on in your business and in that wider sort of supply chain or network, and you know, know what's happening. And if you do go into a purposeful partnership, and hopefully many of the organisations in the Business Fights Poverty network really thinking about monitoring, evaluation, and learning, and and keeping track, because one of the things that we know now, sort of a, a decade or so along from putting the agenda of women's economic empowerment forward is that we don't have a lot of gender specific data on lots of things and disaggregated data looking at what's going on in different levels of society in different groups in different ethnicities being mindful of the data what are you collecting you don't want to bombard your yourselves with data that you're never going to look at but just thinking about that is another important issue I think for practitioners who are working in partnerships.
0: And Helen, we always try and ask a few kind of more personal questions, I guess, as part of these podcasts. My first burning question, what is Sherry Blair like to work alongside? She's great. She's fantastic. She is scarily
1: smart, as I'm sure people would expect, which means you get a challenging question, which is always good. Um... She is a very engaged, supportive person, and professionally, she is not, doesn't have legal responsibility for this charity, but she's the founder and she's been very supportive of me. And I also see her being supportive of all the women and staff around her. So she's very supportive in terms of women in person directly. And I think we see that when she visits women that we work with, that it doesn't matter what the situation and the context, she's interested and ready to engage and ready to support. But yeah, no, I I really love working with her. I had the opportunity to be interviewed by her before I started. And I felt like this is somebody who I can achieve something with. So that's partly why I accepted the role. And Helen, what would
0: your advice be to someone who's starting out on their career?
1: I started out on my career 30 years ago, so um, I'm hesitant to think that I am the font of any wisdom of the opportunities and challenges that people face today. But if pressed, I would say a willingness to sort of learn and to try things. Some of the young people I meet as sort of potential employees, you know, are maybe more educated than, than we were but can come out with very high expectations about the roles that should be available to them. And experience is incredibly important. And And I think being open and ready to learn, and that could mean in an unexpected way. I, one thing I would say is, is you don't know it all when you start and you still don't know it all when you're me 30 years on. And, you know, so being always ready and open to learn and to try things that maybe you didn't, you know, weren't in exactly in the grand plan is not always a bad thing because one door opens another door. So I guess that's one piece of advice. Um, being cognizant of, of what your contribution can be, I think, is another thing because development is changing a lot. The localization agenda where, you know, rightfully so, we are making sure that change uh, is the decisions and the agendas of organisations are decided where the issues are. The first responders in humanitarian crises are the people on the ground. They're not people who fly in aid. The people who should be controlling their destiny in different countries is not people on the other side of the world. And so really thinking about that, if you are in the United States, you know, maybe the way to fight poverty is to look at what you can do in the United States, not just what you can do for Africa or another part of the world which is experiencing poverty so I think there's different considerations now for people coming into their careers which from when I started but they're just a few thoughts I'd have.
0: Ellen McCracken, thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot Katie. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.